This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Dawn Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel, and the piano work you're hearing in the background is from today's guest. She's a pianist, a conductor, a musical director, recording artist, composer, and arranger who has conducted and played with the touring productions of Jersey Boys, Six, and Motown the Musical. She talks about starting out on the farm and the profound impact that music had on her journey. Coming up is Joanne Doherty, a full-time ivory tickler and a musical marvel that Downbeat Magazine declares a rising star in jazz. For doing that. No, I'm fascinated by the piano and so many people on their wish list. What would you wish you could do that you can't is play the piano. It's a powerful thing. It's like having the whole orchestra at your fingertips. And I, I actually had a, I had a student for a while who was in his eighties. It's just important to people at different times of their lives, you know, or they've always wanted to do it and just never did. He never got great, but boy, did he have a good time. We had such a great time. Well, it kind of feels like you're able to communicate emotionally with a piano that sometimes you can't verbally. Oh, for sure. I mean, with any instrument, that's what we're going for. When pianists are jealous of wind players because they have the breathing and the sound in their voice. And I'm also jealous of drummers because they get to just hit things, which is also looks like a lot of fun. But yeah, you want it to be whatever instrument you get bestowed upon you or you choose. It's different for everybody. Some people always thought they'd play this and end up playing that instead. We kind of think of particular personalities that go with instruments, you know, like, oh, watch out for those trombone players. Those are tricksters or whatever. And (laughs) piano players are know-it-alls. And the world of music is a colorfully populated place. So So let's talk a little bit about that, just since you brought it up. Like, for example, I don't think it's a stereotype, but when you see a bass player, they have a bass face. They, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, you think of other redeeming qualities like, okay, here's someone who's willing to carry heavy stuff. (laughs) No, that's true. That's true. And the drummer always has to spend much more time or the vibraphone is to somebody they have to get there early and schlep the stuff. Yes. Although uh, in the in the modern world of keyboard, as opposed to piano, the schlepping is real and the, the setup and the teardown are real too, especially now that there's so much that my keyboard setup, when I do my own gigs outside of the show or outside of piano gigs, the keyboard setup now requires computers and all sorts of things. So you're just like cabling things and it's a long setup and teardown usually for me too. It gives you a lot more range to do a lot of things independently 
but it also you still have to bring it. You got to bring it, <laughs> and you have to know it. The technology. Yeah. You can't be afraid of technology if you're. In, yeah, and you have to have you have to have good friends that you can phone a friend when the time is needed. Let me take you all the way back. When did you begin to play the piano? I don't actually remember. There was a there was a piano in the house when I was a kid, and I grew up on a farm, so we had outdoor distractions, but not like kids in the neighborhood distractions kind of thing. So we kind of had to develop the ability to entertain ourselves. And the piano was there because if you wanted to civilize your children or or, <laughs> or have them able to entertain company or something, you'd have them, you know, teach them to play, you get them to play the piano or something, right. the hymns on the piano or something yeah. like that. So. If you wanted to get off the farm and be proper company that got the real butter, you better learn to play the piano. <laughs> It just never hurt. That's kind of where it came from. But I, I just, I loved it. I was making stuff up always. My parents, God bless them, got us piano lessons early. They drove us. The one piano teacher in the in the area was 20 miles away and we'd go every week. And parents willing to invest in their children's interest is an invaluable thing. It sure is because it builds confidence and it gives you some self-respect. There's so much that comes from that kind of thing that when you get any independence at all, it's because your parents have invested time, energy, and thought into making you a person, not just grades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then, you know, the first recital, I was maybe five in a group, but just got a taste of playing music for people early on. And I remember kind of like, I don't know, some soap opera had fancy restaurant with piano player, <laughs> right. you know, shot, you know, like some guy in LA, like <laughs> had like two seconds of a shot on this thing. And then they go to the pretty people. And, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I could, I could do that. I could play the piano for people. Oh, so, that's amazing. Like, that, kind of way back yeah, then. Yeah. It's amazing that you can identify that moment. Well, I mean, I wanted to be Crystal Gale too, but you know, so. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> those, those are the first things I remember that and, and like a school bus driver. Right. <laughs> Just Either so one, <laughs> something to fall back on, right? You know, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Music in general, you talked about instruments being bestowed. I was somehow left out in the musical talent division. Okay, okay. And I don't know if I've ever shared this, but we moved between some school years where people were learning to read the notes. And so I had no musical knowledge when I moved from Colorado to Nebraska. And when I got there, everybody there had already known how to read notes. So it was completely foreign to me to look at a piece of sheet music. And I was a screw off anyway, but the fact is... <laughs> No, a, a little bit, but I didn't know I was a comedian yet, <laughs> okay. right? I, I think I made the best of not having any musical talent, but the teacher made me stay after school as punishment to learn. This is all I remember. There was a chart with some things on it and she was like going ta ta ti ti ta. And I was like, I don't, I don't know even what you're doing. Like, I don't know what's happening here. It must have inspired a lifelong pursuit of, I'm like, God, what do people think they're doing to kids when they do that? Like, oh, he'll surely want to learn to read music if I punish him. I mean, staying after school and missing out on the fun, whatever this thing uh, was, it was going to be, a, 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 and I love music now. I love musicals. I love watching this stuff as a like consumer, but I still couldn't tell you what's happening when I looked at a piece of music. Yeah. As the more I'm on this earth, the more I think we have these human birthrights of everyone should feel comfortable dancing and singing or with music, you know, and you know, everyone should know how to drive a stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like some kids get robbed of that by some cranky adult, you know, like, oh, cut out the noise or 
no, you're no good at this. Like how many people are messed up by that? And, and I was, I was super lucky that my parents were like very strict and telling me to practice, but they never told me not to practice or cut it out or tired of hearing that. And just were very encouraging. So I, you know, I'm not sure they knew I'd go into it as a line of work. (laughs) No, right. That's another funny moment. They had that in mind. (laughs) When you declare that you're going to do it for a living, then they start to panic. Like, you know, you can't make money doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember telling my mom, you know, because I had gone to jazz camp and I met these kind of dudes that that were doing the thing. And, and oh, these were exotic personalities to me, having grown up on the farm. And everybody had a beret. And oh, yeah. You know, saying saying these crazy things like do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I was like, yeah, that. <laughs> and, you know, my dad's going to work at a power plant and he didn't want to hear that from some 14 year old. After that, I was like, OK, people do this. I can do this. And, and my, my mom, I remember, I actually remember even where we were in the car when we're having this conversation. She's like, so what do you think you might do? And I said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll play with a big band. You know, this is in the nineties. So that's completely unfounded. And then I said, or maybe I'll play on a cruise ship. And she said, those floating dens of iniquity. And (laughs) (laughs) at the time I thought, what an interesting response. But now the more I've like so many people in my field have gone through cruise ships as as a rite of passage, let's say. She was right. She was absolutely right. So I, I avoided that fate. It's interesting when you start. You're so excited to be in entertainment that you don't realize that there are paying areas of it and non-paying areas of it. Yeah, and and there were, you know, two main projects. And one was one was to learn to play the instrument. And the other was to learn that I didn't know any musicians, didn't know any professionals. It, it was this mysterious thing. Because I have friends, musician friends with children who just think this is normal. And like, I, oh, I hang out with dad in the studio all day and I know how to use the software and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And like, to me, it was just like, okay, I have to, maybe I can find someone to talk to or they of course don't teach you a thing about this in college or where I was at the time. It just took a while to figure out, yeah, it's possible and it's possible for me and and then just kind of go for it. Well, you had talent though, which was that you were good at the piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying I always think talent's important, but it is not yeah. it's not the thing that keeps you working or you know what I mean? There's it's not the end. Yeah. That's it's only it's only a possible beginning, you know, like because people with all different levels of ability, people way better than me will never get to do this for a living. And people way worse than me are way more successful. Or <laughs> well, you know, better worse. That's a terrible way. I don't mean it that way. You know what I mean? I totally know what you mean. And there's a saying, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's like a musician is somebody with a thousand dollar instrument that'll get into a hundred dollar car and go play a $25 gig. There's like the economics of, (laughs) of how you think about it in the beginning is, do I have enough money for cable and pot? (laughs) Or even just cables for the gear. (laughs) Cause I'm just kind of weird nerd. That's, I don't think I've ever had cable because I just kind of didn't grow up that way because it wasn't available. And I just, Life is complete without it, and that's great. But yeah, to buy the cables, you know, you know, just like there's an enormous amount of stuff that it takes to do this professionally, you know. So that that was daunting for a while too. Well, I think finding champions, mentors, like-minded people, being in areas where you do see that it's possible. I'm very permissive with like people have me talk to their kid. I think they think I'm going to tell them don't do this. This is hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I do is it's a truth telling exercise, which is 
if you're passionate about anything, if you're willing to lose sleep about it, if you're willing to do it for no money, then you're going to be fine. If you, yeah. if you're doing it for fame or you're doing it for fortune, or you think, oh, this is going to make my life better. If I could just get to this, that'll make transfer to that. That's usually not going to happen. Yeah, it's a recipe for heartbreak. Yeah, yeah, it has to be something you'd want to do either way. There's all this talk about as younger people, like, oh, people getting straight jobs. Oh, oh you know, this guy couldn't hack it for a while. And, you know, like they played for a while. And, then, and I'm like, oh, no, no, man. However you put your life together that includes this stuff is just fine. It's just a, um, we're all, you know, like for me, sometimes that would be like the balance of, of gigs versus teaching in a year sometimes, or, you know, I had straight jobs for a while, like regular people jobs, you know, <laughs> it's been a long time, but, but yeah, that, you know, I could see a way that that was possible too, and a decent life to be made, you know, I could do something creative. And, but I just, I got to a, a fork in the road where I kind of couldn't play as much as I wanted to and have a job at the same time. And I was making money and I was like, well, I, you know, like as far as I know, I get to live once. So I may as well, jump in and try this and I can always get a job later. And living life, by the way, is a series of chapters. So when you're single and you're young and you have the freedom and you don't have the responsibilities of raising children, paying a mortgage, adulting things, but that's a time that you should be taking higher risks on moving towards the epicenter of your creative goals sure. or artistic goals because it matters less. And when you are a person who is paying health insurance for your kids, you don't have the same options. Yeah. And I think too, it just gets like, uh, you know, moving uprooting just gets less appealing over time. You know, like at the time I was just thrilled. It's like, yay, get me out of where I am and take me to where I'm going, you know, but you build something and then it, it's harder to, with, with the accumulation of years and stuff and all that stuff, it's, it's harder to adjust. As you move from wanting to leave where you were and go somewhere and see the world, you then begin to change to something in musical terms where the soundtrack of your life is the journey. What am I doing right now? What's interesting about this project and these people? And you start to realize, oh, it's not an end goal. Yeah. Life is what happens when you're making other plans. Yeah. And for that, I moved to Chicago in 1998 and it has been a really wonderful place for me because they're, they're just, there's so many musicians here and it, it's not the epicenter. It's, you know, like I don't really want to move to New York. I don't like that's my style of living, all those kind of things. There's so many things to add into it, but the time I've spent in Chicago, I just, I get to be around so many world-class players doing so many different things and so many different genres that it's just inspiring, you know, and I can do all of that while I'm based from my home with my piano and my stuff. You know, my, I remember having friends in New York during the, co uh, during the COVID, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as if that's over, but their instruments are in external practice places somewhere else that they have to rent. And so they were separated from their instruments. Wow. Yeah, right. They're just another layer of heartbreak. Yeah, that's super sad because it is. I was thrilled to be just kind of locked down in my house for a while, you know, I, I mean, not thrilled with the circumstances and the loss of income and everybody's tragedy. Not None of that. But in terms of where I landed when that happened, it was, oh, this isn't a bad place. <laughs> no, and I do think many different artists I talked to along the way had different reactions to when they started to realize, oh, wait a second, I don't have a venue, but I do have a voice. Yeah. I can write or I can express myself. I can think about how I feel. I can't remember who said music is not to hear, it's to feel. It, oh, that's a beautiful quote. Yeah. And when you stop feeling, when, you, when you're when you down or depressed or doing something, 
it also is a, an emotional thing that you can express. Wow. Finding people's songs over the last couple of years, changing to the importance of humanity and being together. You know, it's kind of a moment in time where the people who grasped it grappled with it and the people who avoid it are still wondering what they were not proactive about yeah. expressing themselves. So I, I have a YouTube channel and like when you go there, uh, it's just Joanne Doherty. And let me spell your last name for them. It'll be, oh, yes. it'll be on our website, but it's D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y. Okay. Now we got that. So on the, on the YouTubes, uh, and this is not really promo. This is, this is story. There's a, a thing that starts playing when you get there, you know, a little video that starts playing. And that was, we had some friends over and this was like peak lockdown, just it's bleak and no gigs, no nothing. But um, we had some friends over for outdoor dinner and said, well, bring an instrument, you know, like, let's just try to light the fire in our hearts. And we went on the front porch. We had thought about, oh, I'll set up a keyboard and my husband will set up some drums and stuff. And then I was like, look, that like, then we're like running cables and, <laughs> you know, like sticking an extension cord through the mailbox and stuff, you know, like, let's just like, I, I have a little melodica, I just sit on a cajon. Let's, let's just do this with no electricity and just kind of play some tunes. And our friends have, uh, he plays acoustic bass and she plays violin. And so we just gave a concert on our front porch, like an unannounced, unscripted. We're just playing on the front porch and people stopped by people were walking by and then pretty soon their chairs in the yard and then people like this guy on a bike just stops and starts crying i just lost someone i hadn't processed it yet you know and it was just like it was such a visceral reminder of like oh right this is why we do this right you know because like, like prior to that we got so like in the career ball of things and you're worried about what what you're getting to next and is this leading to the next thing and all that stuff? And, and it, just to have it stripped so bare and, and just realize, yeah, like, you know, yeah, we do. We play music so people can feel things. Yeah. The sense of community you built there is tribal. It's some old, old stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> but also totally campfire stuff. And you mentioned another place, which was the locale, because the front porch has lost its usage in many parts of the world when homes weren't air conditioned. There was a time of day people sat out there and everyone passed by and it, it was really useful. Well, now people are building every square inch of their house all the way to the edge and putting bigger fences up. And we're, we are kind of breaking up our human contact. And I mean, yeah. with the, with the mistaken, and I'm not a curmudgeon, but the notion that everything you, I am. I'm not against cell phones. But a cell phone is where people say, oh, I'm really connected to everyone. It's like, no, mm -hmm. you're disconnecting. You're actually yeah. programming like you're running a network or studio. You're picking your own music, your own thing, and you're closing yourself off into some kind of a, like a bomb shelter in a way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah, that's a thing. But you go out. I'm really interested because I know you're also a conductor, and I want to talk about what those responsibilities are. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because I, I have a friend, Larry Goldberg, who is a conductor, and he talks about it being kind of stuck between your, in the artistic sense, your management, because you're working with the development of the musical above, and your kind of staff, because you're dealing with everybody that plays in the orchestra. But in a way, you don't, you're not part of either world completely. You're responsible that everybody shows up tomorrow and plays their part in the teamwork. 
which means you're yeah. an administrative spy at the same time sure. as you're on the <laughs> as you're on the camp yes. team. Yeah, yeah. But the conducting I have done has also been involved playing. Right. So there is more a sense of of like being in the band too, but then there's this extra stuff. Yeah. And I'm really grateful. Like I I think it would be less fun for me to just just conduct. I, I like I really want to play. I really want to play. And the, the show I'm doing right now, I could almost say it's more band leading uh, on stage. You know, I like, think I'm not waving my hands a lot because it's just, it's not that kind of music. Is this the musical six? It is the musical six that just won two Tonys last night. Two Tonys. It was nominated for eight and it won two Tonys, which was what? Best originals? Best score and costume design. Just to be clear, I'm with the first national tour, which is also called the Aragon Tour, named after one of the characters. Our compatriots in New York did their amazing work last night, and we're so happy for them and the accolades they're getting. And and it's good. It's just good for everybody involved in the in the six universe, of course. So well, just so that the listener who doesn't know about it, it's it's an unusual name for a musical, and it's on the newer side. So give me a brief synopsis of what sure. what's taking a, a place in six. Sure. It features the six wives of Henry VIII, who are competing with each other in a in an American Idol style pop singing contest. <laughs> so you know who's the most interesting, or you know, like I don't know, like which one wins. But and then throughout the show, they find that maybe competition isn't that comparing ourselves is limited in its scope, and and then it turns into a big party, you know? So it's, it's, and it's, it's just a visual and uh, audio feast. So it, it's so much fun to be part of. And speaking of making people happy, we have 15 to 1800 people a night and they, they come in one way and they go out with their, the worries of the world are way less on them. And it's been described as a celebration and explosive and a blast. So it sounds like it's really an energetic piece. It is on top of that. It's just so positive. It's so, so white arms welcome, you know, so anyone chooses to dress in any way and is completely welcome. And, you know, it's a a lot of female non-binary energy, just a powerful cast and the band and, and the folks backstage, it resonates all the way through. We actually all really like working together and, and making this fancy, shiny thing. Yeah. And it's contemporary. Um, It's the musical six, Music and lyrics are by uh, Toby Marlowe and Lucy Moss. Congrats to them on that, Tony, for the score. We talked to Karen Olivo, who's a Tony winner for West Side Story, and she talks about what happens when something gets nominated for Tonys. Suddenly, it puts a mark on your back that everybody who votes on them is coming. Every show, (laughs) it double matters to you, to the cast, to the whatever, because you're, you know, for months, your hopes are, can we get this? Merit yeah, badge. Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is glorious of when it happens. But it's also just yeah. it just marks another moment in time that everybody is bringing their best to the party. I find that musical theater is a very long process from rehearsal to execution, and then if you're very very lucky to have a hit that can stick around for a while. And then preceding preceding all the rehearsal to execution, that's just the top little. T- showing part of the iceberg, everything, you know, this, and you know this well, like the stuff that comes that's underneath the water on the iceberg. That's, Oh, it takes 10 yeah, years, years, years. Right. <laughs> and, and songs get developed and then you realize they don't fit the show and they got to be pitched. And then casting, it is way before that they come together for that first rehearsal. 
there's 10 years, seven to 10 years worth of work going on. Yeah. One of the reasons I brought up the conducting was there was a super fun thing I saw probably on YouTube that you could find. It was done by Improv Everywhere. Did you ever see the clip where the orchestra was in the middle of Manhattan sitting outside? I think it was a Carnegie Hall group. And then they had a sign that said, conduct us. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's great. There's an empty music stand with a conductor's baton on it. And the orchestra is sitting there silent. And anybody from the street can walk up and pick up. As soon as they pick the stick up, everybody's alert. And whatever they do with the stick, if they raise it up, they they bring it down and they go. And it's hilarious. And it's also an amazing, it's almost like they've got a magic wand. Yeah. Yeah. Some people do it and they're goofy and then they feel like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. And they set it down and the orchestra just stops. And other people see, wait a minute, I know a little bit about music. And I have all the power. Right. You really <laughs> must look it up. And I would encourage the listener too. you probably yeah. could type in conduct us and you'd find it. But it was basically conducting an orchestra, a, a professional world-class orchestra with no instruction. And they're just sitting at the edge of their seat waiting to, and then they point at one instrument and then that person starts playing and it's, it's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got to um, check that out. But I so. think, I think that's it. That kind of goes harkens back to what we were talking about. The fantasy of playing a piano in a weird way. You then let people explore what it feels like to have the power of music at their fingertips. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, one thing I, had to learn about or conducting or leading a show, whatever you want to call what I do in this part of what I do is that, you know, it's, it's almost like you're playing. It's not as though you're not playing an instrument. Like even if, the, if someone is conducting with a baton and not holding an instrument, their instrument becomes the meta, the, the, the orchestra is the instrument. That's what you're playing. And, and in my case, like the show is kind of the instrument, the pacing and the, you know, these things that I'm kind of responsible for, the timing and the, the starts and the stops. And, you know, like that, that's kind of a, just a larger instrument in the grand scheme of things. So that's a real rewarding way for me to see that. Well, let's talk about your own independent music that you create yourself. Because I've been really, over the weekend, I really enjoyed going to Spotify and taking it in. There were so many really interesting things. I, I started with the 2017 album, which was called Bring Joy. And the title is fantastic. That brings. Oh, I got a good story about that. So I want to hear it because those two words together are so immensely positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have have a great friend uh, named Lisa McClowry, wonderful singer. And and now she's super, super talented person. And she has a a share tribute show. So of all the things she's done now, now she's being share, (laughs) which is pretty, what a feat. But we were out on a gig somewhere and I was talking, I was kind of like groveling about like, I I think I should make a new album. You know, I'd I'd made two jazz albums prior to this. Jazz is, you know, well, you're not expecting commercial success when you make a jazz album. You've got other things in mind, but it takes a while, like the money, the the time, but we make the art and that's, you know, that's what we do. But I I was kind of kvetching about all this to her and she's like, well, why, why do you want to do this? And I said, well, I think I should make a statement should be on the scene and like, this. And she's like, well, why do you want to do that? And then, well, so people know what I'm doing and hear my music. Well, why do you want them to hear your music? You know, and, and just like layers and layers and just patient layers and layers and layers. And finally I got to it. 
that I want to make people happy. The world is a hard place. Happy people are nicer. (laughs) So like if I can use music to bring some joy into the world, then it kind of seems worthwhile. So, and that's kind of where the title came from. It's just that big exploratory discussion while walking through the desert on after some gig in some deserty place. But isn't it interesting? Again, this is not unlike what you said earlier about getting the gear and getting the cables and going out the mailbox. Like we get all of this stuff in the way. And as we simplify, as we get to more to heart and to humanity, you were able to distill all of that to bring joy to the simplest. Yeah. It yeah, helps. Help. <laughs> it really helps. It does help. Yeah. And sometimes you do have to have a, a person that's your inquisitor that asks you those questions yeah. because you hear yourself answer the questions and you realize, well, that's not really it. No, I guess I thought, and you have to dismantle or deconstruct the perception of what you think is being asked of you as opposed to what gives you purpose or passion. Yeah. And self-reflection for me rarely yields the same results as a conversation. Of course, you learn a lot when you're when you're thinking about it, but just having someone pin me down like that was <laughs> was really helpful. Just I had never really gone through it. Like, why am I doing this? It's, you know, it's not, it's not making me rich and famous. It's not you know, which is not why I did it to begin with, but I'm a smart person. I could be making more money. I could be doing something different, Yeah. Uh, but I've chosen this. And that's, that's why that turns out to be why. Well, I, I also looked at the song titles because sometimes I think, oh, this is, Ooh. I'm a namer. I like to name things. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I think naming things is hard. So that's, that's actually really cool. It's fun for me. And I guess maybe because of being in comedy and doing other things, Early on when I moved to Los Angeles, I had a neighbor that was in the movie business and she worked in some department where she'd go, hey, we need a tagline for this movie, but we need it, it needs to be short and funny. And it was the most fantastic side gig in the world was to write little quippy descriptions and things like that. And it was because I kind of thought, oh, this isn't so bad. Or somebody was naming a book or somebody was naming an album. So it's like, I'll name your baby for you if you want. That's amazing. What? That's a that's a real skill. Okay, cool. I, I don't know that it has anything, but, but it also makes me draw attention to things. Like there was a song on your album called Elsewhen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that word. And I kind of was, you know, I was listening to it and it was making my mind wander. And where does that word come from? And what does it mean? It comes from a book. I'd have to find that book on my bookshelf upstairs. But I was reading a lot about cosmology so planets and and all these things and else when was the best word they could come up to describe so we see the light from a dying star that's old information right so there's there's this gap maybe completely dead and we're still looking at the light but like what you call this kind of time period of like where are we you know we're getting old information from outer space you know so it's kind of related to all that I could speak more intelligently about it. No, no, no. You don't even have to explain. Sometimes it doesn't need an explanation, but just the idea that there's a cosmic gap, I think, when we used to get the paper delivered in the morning. (laughs) That's a cosmic gap. Well, no, because really, that's yesterday's news. Absolutely. It had to be run through the press. It had to be delivered to your house. And you really aren't reading what's happening now. You're reading history at that point. Right. Fresh history, but yeah, yeah. 
And with, with the star, it's like millions or billions, you know, like it's like, it's really yeah. old news. Yeah. Well, maybe you could speak better to the title, The Secret Life of Plants, because I, ah. you've given a soundtrack to the simple chlorophyll elegance of greenery in some way. <laughs> I can't take credit for that. It's Stevie Wonder. That's a Stevie Wonder. There's a two album set called The Se Journey Through the Secret Life of Plants. It was intended to be a soundtrack to a movie about plants. It has some uh, beautiful, beautiful music on it. And some of which, like the, maybe two songs people mm -hmm. would have ever heard before in their lives. But I'm just a, a huge Stevie Wonder nut. I've just loved that music ever since. I didn't really grow up with it. I kind of discovered it. Like some, a friend gave me Stevie Wonder in college. And because I, I had heard what like the major radio hits in the late 80s and stuff. But I didn't, I didn't know Talking Book and Music of My Mind and just all those albums that are just creative masterpieces right there so that is just yeah. stuff that's near and dear to me so just to play that music that he wrote it's just like getting to play in a sandbox you know yeah. and you've had the opportunity yourself though to play and music supervise on orchestral soundtracks of wildlife documentaries yeah that was that was fun yeah so tell me how you interpret that you're watching the imagery and developing what you think might be happening. I worked with the composer. Okay. And the composer was actually the the photographer, videographer, documentarian of the thing. And he and I have a long musical background together, so we share a lot of common language and then to unify it with his images or to to help him hear like get into the world what he's hearing and and that sort of thing. So that was that was my role in that in addition to uh, actually playing piano on that. It's mm -hmm. called To the Ends of the Earth. And there, I think there are several um, several editions out now, but it's beautiful, beautiful stuff. So uh, the music's beautiful and the images are beautiful. And Jane Goodall does an introduction at the beginning. So like the, the, whole, the whole project is just a very heartwarming thing and just raising awareness of this precious world we live in. So many of us don't get to visit the wild, far off places. That's when TV or media is like, can be super powerful, right? You know, like it, it, it numbs us too, but boy, it lets us see other parts of the world. Well, you're given the opportunity to collaborate with so many different people because of your ability to play music and also your ability to arrange and compose. Has there been a favorite project or collaboration over the years that you thought, wow, this has opened up a new place in my mind? I'm playing with a band right now. I, I guess I put it together. Uh, it's called Better Together. It's the jazz trio that I normally play with. So my husband on drums and Joshua Ramos on bass. And and then we added Henry Johnson on guitar, who's just had this amazing career playing with Ramsey Lewis and Nancy Wilson and Donnie Hathaway. You know, like, you know, I play with people <laughs> who play with famous people, you know, but he's, he's, he's got a story about everyone, which is amazing. And then we have a great singer and then we, Bruce Henry, and then we, we add background singers and horns and everything. So we've been, we've been doing some shows, just addressing artists that, that I love very much though. And we started with Al Jarreau. Um, oh, I love Al Jarreau. Oh, I do too. And like, it's rare to find anyone that's willing to invest mm. the effort. That's not easy music to bring that music to life, not to tr play it straight from the record, but to, to just get in it and inhabit it. Such a joy. We've done an Al Jarreau show and, and just this past weekend, we did a Ray Charles show and that, oh, it was still like afterglow from just how exciting that was. It must be fun to explore those catalogs. 
it's awesome just to sit and, and bathe in it just as a listener, but to just to get in it and play with the stuff. And then I jump in on backgrounds too. And like I, the two really amazing background singers we had, uh, Laura Phillip and Yvonne Gage and Chicago people, you know, Chicago people do cool things all over the world. You know what? I, I, I'm going to concur with that because I, when I read actors for plays and stuff, Chicago really brings it. They bring it. Yeah, because they don't have a mentality that I find in New York and L.A., where in in L.A. it's more about sitting in the trailer and doing your scene, and what they're not really as many really good theater actors, and also people are used to picking up these sides and reading a little bit of a scene and then walking out. In Chicago, they prepare, they memorize it, they they treat the audition like it's the performance, and I applaud the work ethic and the attitude. It's a working town. Yeah. And it's also a party town and it's super fun to be around <laughs> both of those things. Yeah. I, I hear it's a party town, but I'm, I'm mostly living in the working town part of things. So <laughs> no, I know, but, but they know where to go for a beer afterwards. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so I joined the background singers a little on this show too. And like to just to jump in with that and like, Oh, learn like, Oh, what are they doing? And how are they doing that? And how powerful it was to just be this block of, for me to hop on that train too. So like I said, complete afterglow for a few days after still. So just big fun. So that's one of the favorite things I've done. Just the opportunity to play improvised music with other humans. That's a thing that really lights me up. You know, I, okay. I love making recordings and and I love playing big shows and the lights and the everything. But like like the thing I really crave is playing improvised music with other humans in the same room. Yeah. I love to play music with people. I'm less interested in recording my track and sending it off somewhere. You know, that happens. Yeah. That's great, but grateful for technology and all that stuff. But the thing that lights me up is playing music with people. And live is so, so valuable. When you go to a Satchmo Fest in New Orleans, or you go to, you, you went to Havana, Cuba. I'm, yeah. I'm curious. How <laughs> was that? How was that? And did you play? Because it's kind of like going into a time machine and going back like the environment and the architecture and the cars. It's like something out of 1950s. Uh, it's, it's so many complex emotions all at once, but mostly it was just love and music. I, I was there playing with a, a, mus a musician named Victor Goins. I mean, he plays with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, but I was there playing with his group. We joined with a guy in Cuba, clarinetist named Yanio Abreu, and played with played this awesome show with an orchestra and their rhythm section and our rhythm section and things about Cuba, beautiful, amazing people. Everyone plays piano amazingly. So it's a frightening place to be a piano player. <laughs> <laughs> Came home and watched the, the Netflix. There's a, there was this awesome like 12 part series on kind of the whole history of Cuba and America's involvement and all that stuff. And, yeah. and that made me even more grateful to have been so warmly welcomed by everybody and that music is such a unifying thing that humans can do and want to do together, regardless of governments and all those other things, you know? Yeah, very non-political experience. Absolutely. There are a thousand reasons to get political, but I'm going to leave where it sat for me, which was I, I felt just so grateful to be warmly welcomed and to have the opportunity to play with such amazing musicians. Because they're... They're short on many material goods and, and all sorts of things, but they are not short on expertise or work ethic. Their music education system, their conservatory system is just turns out amazing young players just 
constantly. And they, they have a pride in their national music there that kind of allows people to pursue it as a, as a line of work too. So I hope things get easier for yeah. that country and our country with it. And, you know, that we can all more easily get together and, and play. <laughs> yeah. I think you actually bring up something that in many other places in Haiti and, uh, and places, music is one of the first things that comes back together. You yeah. know, yeah. And I, I'm not talking about the commercial part of it. I'm talking right. about the communication part of it. Yeah. You can turn an upside down sink into a drum and somebody can communicate. Yeah, absolutely. It's that, it's that, like I'm saying, the campfire thing. It's like the, that far deep in our species history, we've longed to connect with each other. And sound is one way that we do that very meaningfully. In that case, I can kind of get all goofy about how privileged I am to kind of take part in this kind of work. But, but I mean, every word of it, I don't take it for granted. Cause like, like I said, I didn't know any musicians growing up and it just seemed impossible to yeah. make a life around this and 30 years later or whatever it is now. I'm like, it's been a while. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm like, Oh, I could get a straight job. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure. I don't think I don't, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't uh, not think I have anything for them anymore. <laughs> there's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with holding a steady job. Absolutely not. But I watch generations of people, including my father, who's now passed where they talk about the last Oh, just 10 more years. And then I retire. I'm like 10 years. That's the most brutal thought in the world. Yeah. Five years, one more year. It's like getting out of prison. And I think, what, what can I do to retire now and start doing the stuff that I dream about, which, you know, was playwriting. It was stand-up comedy. It was directing commercials. It was things where I thought that would be a fun way to express myself. You don't have to be good at it to start trying it and learning and getting better at it. You know, no musician is sitting down to a concerto on day one, right? No, no. Maybe you could give some advice to new musicians, not just something that was you learned from that early piano teacher or that along the way made you realize that you get to do it. You don't have to do it. Like seek out the fun in it. That would be a thing I would tell young people, but also like go deep in your, in your learning. One of the reasons I have been able to do what I do is because my my country piano teacher taught me theory early on. And I, I was like, oh, that's, in, you know, like some people don't like learning about the sharps and flats and the notes and the rhythms. And like for I was just like, oh, well, what's next? What's next? You know, and because because I was given that and my it, my brain shaped itself around that, I can now communicate with other people about what I want things to sound like or what someone else wants things to sound like. I can make things sound like someone else wants them to or the way I want them to. It's because I went deep in the learning. I feel like kids, kids today, I feel like (laughs) a lot of folks today, not just kids, but you know, like our, our understanding or our ideas, our ideas about how music is made bent around from idol shows and that kind of stuff, because you don't see what goes into the craft. There's the talent and then there's the craft, there's the work. Everybody is some combination of both and you can shape where you're going by how much you put into the learning of the craft. Yeah. The craft, by the way, is, is not unlike a watercraft, which is, it gets you out to sea. You actually always have to have the craft. I believe that if I wasn't learning to be a better writer or write better jokes or stories, 
then my performing them would not be as sophisticated. Absolutely. And also it was the craft when everything was taken away, when there was no place to go, no people to do, it was like, Oh, I have this ability to write. And I think I'm not delusional. I'm not going to get a Pulitzer prize or, or any grand salute from anything, but I do give myself permission to move forward. Yeah. I think that that everyone wears a hat, an editor hat, a judge hat, different things. If you put it on too early, if you go, I'm bad at drawing, I'm not good at remembering names. If you do it and then you wear that hat, you adorn that everywhere you go, you, you use that as an excuse. There's no growth. There's nowhere to go. I was talking to my students. They're like, oh, I can't do that. And I'm like, oh, wait, wait, wait. You're not done with that sentence yet. I can't do that yet. How much does that change things now? It's, it's A, it's possible, and B, I have work to do. Okay, I can't do it yet, but I will after going through the steps it takes. Yeah, and those steps are essentially a pipeline. This will flow to this, will flow to this. If you want oil to come out on the other end, don't go clogging up the pipeline. Yeah. Say, oh, I have to do this first, and that will lead to this. Then I need to go there, and then I need to see that person. Every one of them gives you a job to do, if you're ready to take it. Yeah, for sure. And then I think too about, uh, you know, okay, I'm going to go back to, you know, the idle, idle vacation of, of people's minds, you know, because there are very few of us in the industries. So it's a small number of folks in the entertainment or arts industries and people outside of that don't realize how many folks are just not famous, not whatever, but, but working in meaningful ways just how much important good stuff is gets to happen. You know, they see the five famous folks and and think that's it. And and they're just well, a there's an enormous crew behind them, of of artistic people, whether they're carpenters or electricians or or music designers or all that kind of stuff. But there's also just all these people in the world that we'll never hear of that that are just making the world a prettier, more beautiful place because of art and entertainment. Yeah, yeah, and I think that those very things, I know this is a little preachy, but the notion is that those prettier places start within us. Yeah, and if yeah. we're not happy doing it, then it's not we're not building something. If you look at a thing and you say, I wish that I could have that fame or that money or that whatever, that sentence is also not done and be happy, right? Because right. <laughs> many of those people are not additionally happy because they they get there and then they go, how come this doesn't make me happy? So if you start on working on things and with people that make you happy or that are favorable or bring you joy, then it, the rest, the outcome changes. You're not, you're not chasing something. You're inviting something home. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily come up with the idea that the pursuit of happiness is legitimate. I see. If you're not around people who arrange their lives around that, it can be kind of a foreign idea. Like, oh, well, I, I have to, you know, I have to do this and suffer through it until I do that. And then for me, it was, I had to go from kind of being on one side of like, I see how I see this other thing and I see all the ways it's impossible, like to have that kind of life. And then there was a shift where I was like, okay, I see this thing and now I have to figure out how to get myself there. Yeah. It's the difference between the possible and the impossible. Yeah, for sure. So you put on a lens, a different lens that says, different lens. what makes this possible? What What do I need to do? 
because there's a lot of things we can't do, but that there are so many more things that we can. It is a privilege, right? Because like, you know, this is all first world stuff, right? Yes. Like I, 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 you know, I didn't grow up like economically privileged, but I grew up secure. Yeah. That is a leg up that a lot of folks don't have. I get that. So to be able to talk about the pursuit of an enjoyable craft isn't something everybody gets to do. No, I acknowledge that too. At length, I feel like I've been lucky on many fronts. But I also remind people with challenges and people that are in difficult situations that so many tools are yours if you want to develop them. Absolutely. Which is thinking tools, play tools, writing tools. Those things cost nothing, but they do, it's, it's painful, but you may be writing about something that was a crisis in your life and it may be the most important book that becomes the most important movie because you have a first person experience of that difficulty. And that is really important in the artistic pursuit, which is to believe that your voice has value. That it matters. Yeah. That you deserve you deserve to be heard and to seek out people who who do that for you. Yeah. Or who who believe in you or who amplify your voice or who understand that you you're entitled to speak your mind in ways and it may not be everybody's truth, but if it's yours, the ceremony and ritual of what you do is, has value in the world. I think. Yeah, for sure. So I'm so grateful that you spent some time with me today. I'm eager to get to know you better. You bring joy just in the conversation and I'm going to thank you for that. Well, no, but I want to encourage the listener to go to Spotify and to check out your album spring joy and range of motion and get to know you a little better through that. And we'll keep an eye out and an ear out, I guess, for everything. Go to the YouTubes too. I mean, I've, yes, the YouTube, there's, there's fun stuff. There's a lot of, lot of concerts we filmed in our yard during the, during the COVID. <laughs> I like put the dub before everything, get off the Facebook, uh, yeah, no, put down the Blackberry. <laughs> I, yeah, I am living in the upper Midwest right now. So, yeah, but you're talking like you're 85. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> My friend says, lie up. Lie about your age, but lie up. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, tell people you're 60. They'll say you look fantastic. Oh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, I was like, I never thought of that. Yeah. So. I'll tell people I weigh a lot more, too, so I can they'll say, oh, you must have <laughs> dropped 100 pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's a new approach, so. I love it. We'll play them out with some Harold's Tune by Joanne Doherty. Sounds great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be talking to you. Thanks for joining us today. Take a moment to subscribe and we will hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative with sound editing lovingly provided by Delilah Lovejoy. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and sanity provided by Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun because dot com is just too dot common and dot fun is so much more fun. Ciao for now.